0: fellow Trekkies. I'm Marianne in Oakland, California, and this is Northwest Nerd. Mm. Broadcasting from the crossroads of fandom, bringing you news, entertainment, and the stories that make us nerds. Welcome to Northwest Nerd.
1: And hi there. I am your host, pop culture journalist, Dyer Oxley. And in this episode, of Northwest Nerd. We have, actually, it's it's just me for this episode, and, and there's a very good reason behind that. No co-host this time, because we have a lot of voices coming on for a roundtable discussion that kind of deals with this Venn diagram between journalism and Star Trek fandom. And what exactly do I mean by that? A little bit of a setup here. I have worked in news media for a number of years now. I've gone from newspapers, worked in radio, and TV for a hot minute. Now, I've been a Star Trek fan for years, but all along the way, wherever I've worked, I've noticed that some of my colleagues have a common trait, sort of a, a trend. And you can kind of tell, you, you know, when somebody else is a Star Trek fan. And I was able to kind of spot them. In fact, more people than I have invited for this particular podcast episode, which is what we're doing. A roundtable with Heather Bosch, Essex Porter, and Jeff Podula about their personal relationship with Star Trek and their careers as journalists. Jeff Podula is currently a news reporter over at Como Radio. Essex Porter is a reporter over at Cairo 7 TV. And Heather Bosch currently works at Cairo Radio. She's also been a CBS News correspondent. And every one of those names that I have just mentioned is an award-winning journalist. So why do they love Star Trek? Is there something about Star Trek that attracts people with journalistic tendencies? Is my personal background in news media the reason I ask so many questions in intros to podcasts? It's actually more of a random curiosity. Let's get on to my conversation with Essex Porter, Jeff Podula, and Heather Bosch. This is a personal thing that I, that I like to do. I like to throw this out at people uh, when I first meet them, or you're, you're out having drinks with folks getting to know them, and you, you realize, oh, you might be a nerd too. So so who's your captain? So I'm gonna i I'm gonna give you guys the, the same question. We're all into Star Trek. We probably have our own little variations of what we like about this show. Heather, let's let's start with you. Heather, who who would you say is your captain?
2: I'm gonna kick it old school. I'm going with Captain Christopher Pike.
1: Oh oh okay. all right. in
2: the pilot, but made a wonderful encore presentation during Star Trek Discovery. He has just the right amount of Star Trek, I know it all, swagger. I thought he was awesome, and I love seeing that character brought back because he kind of got the short short shift earlier.
1: I was going to say, all righty, so you are going with Discovery Pike versus um, Head Out of a Box Pike?
2: Actually, kind of the whole evolution of Pike.
1: Okay, all righty. I like that. I like it. So you kind of like the uh, – because I get kind of a space cowboy vibe with him, you know, shoot from the hip. Absolutely. Like, okay.
2: You kind of feel safe when he's in the captain's chair, that he's got it under control, without being too cocky.
1: Essex, what about you?
0: Well, I, I think the the best captains are Janeway and Cisco. Okay. Janeway, because she, she she had to hold everything together without the help of Starfleet in the Delta Quadrant. Cisco mm-hmm. was basically the governor of an inter- intergalactic city. He had to fight off the Dominion at the same time. So I think they were actually the best captains because they had the biggest challenges to overcome. Uh, but I, I have to say, I would best like to serve under Captain Georgiou from Discovery because I just felt that she was sort of the wisest of the captains, the best mentor. And in fact, Michelle Yeoh is, is like this national treasure anyway. And her portrayal uh, made me want to see uh, her, her 20-year-old movie, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I discovered it was far beyond just a, a martial arts flick. Yeah. So I. Yeah.
1: I feel a little cheated with uh, Captain Giorgio because the the Captain Giorgio we get with Discovery, sorry spoilers for any anybody, uh they kind of do a little bit of a switch up on us there. The the Giorgio that like was in the beginning, the one that you're talking about the wise one, the, the good mentor and so forth. I would really like to see more of her, you know. I don't know how much spoilers I want to give out to people, but we, we, we kind of get a little bit of a an evil Giorgio <laughs> that kind of enters in I a little bit
2: later. Jo- I love really? Angel I love Okay. I oh. loved it. The The scene, I, well, I shouldn't interrupt. <laughs> I'll get more on that later after Jeff tells us who his captain is, but I, I really want to talk Discovery, Giorgio and Michael Burnham. I'm just, oh, they're so good.
1: You know, yeah, and you know what? I didn't even consider Giorgio in my mind when i was when i ever think of this question now i'm gonna have to put that into consideration yeah jeff what what, what say you on this well
3: i, I would say there were two and they've both been mentioned uh one i would have to agree with ethics on on uh janeway she was a, a fantastic captain i know uh voyager tends to get the short trip the a fair amount of times but uh if if you think about how that character was written in the 1990s i mean way ahead of its time uh, a, a strong female lead, uh, a television series, and then you know the first female captain. And I, I don't have kids, but I have a niece who's 13 years old. If she grows up to be a Janeway, I'd be absolutely mm-hmm. happy about that. Um, but then I would have to kind of agree with uh, Heather on Christopher Pike, uh, particularly the the Discovery Christopher Pike. Anson Mount, uh, I thought his portrayal was absolutely amazing, and. The reason why I, I like him so much is he's sort of this dichotomous character where you have he, he, this the scientist. He's the the captain of the Enterprise and the Discovery, but at the same time, if you saw some of those episodes, he talks about how he's got faith and he's got that sort of conflict within him. Uh, it makes me really excited to see uh, Strange New Worlds when it comes out.
0: Yeah, I think it is uh, the Captain Pike from Discovery who has the line, uh, "Starfleet uh, means." I die for you, you die for me, and nobody gets left behind.
3: Yeah, and, and there was that uh what was the episode? I think it was called New Eden, where they found this colony of humans far out in the in the beta quadrant when they were, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with the the seven signals. And I remember the the last scene of that episode where he's talking with the character Jacob, where he explains, Yes, you were right about us, yes, we you know, Earth is still there, we are you know, exploring space. I mean, that was such an amazing scene, so well written, such awe and wonder portrayed by the, uh, whoever it was that was playing Jacob. And then it, it, having Captain Pike just kind of give him that confirmation, give him that comfort as to solving this question that had been plaguing his family for centuries.
2: Yeah, I got to chime in on Janeway as well. Um, total respect for for her character and her, uh, you know, fighting with the board and totally just playing it in a way that she, she was the captain. She totally took command of that situation and so much of focus on, oh, she's a female captain, but she owned that captain's chair. And I see Michael and Captain Philippa as a, as an extension of that, as an evolution of that. You were talking about the episode where. I guess we can say mirror world where Burnham and Philippa are going at it like it's a chess match. And it's also very physical. And I came away from watching that uh, episode thinking, man, this is like a series finale because there was such good, solid acting. And for me as a female fan of the genre, I loved how it came organically, that that's how the characters evolved during this season. And it wasn't like, okay, now we're going to have an episode with the girls in it. It just was very much beautifully acted, really interesting storytelling. And yeah, I get a kick out of seeing the ladies in charge.
1: You know, I, I kind of like to throw a question at you guys because we've all, we've all dipped our toe a little bit in, in Discovery so far in this conversation. And I found that Discovery is kind of a hit or miss conversation with folks. I, even people who may not be into Discovery, but then they'll say, but that Pike... Yeah, and so, it, how are you guys feeling about Discovery at, at, at this point? And, and I'll be honest, like myself, I'm kind of hit or miss with it myself, and uh, I got my own thoughts on that. But how, how are you guys uh, doing with Discovery? Is it is it are you receiving it well? Or are you are you like yeah? I'm I'm still a little bit more on the enterprise.
0: Oh, I you know uh, I love Discovery. Uh, I've received it very well. In fact, the, the very first episode. Uh, you know, I I had my ten-year-old flat-screen TV, <laughs> and I'm sure it was fine. But then I saw that first episode of Discovery. I turned to my daughter and I said, "We're gonna need a bigger set."
3: <laughs> I love it, Essex. <laughs> uh, I you know, for me, I I liked it from the beginning, and and I've gone through and, and rewatched Discovery now. I think you know another one or one and a half times, and. I really liked seasons one and two season three. I mean, it seemed to be hit or miss. Like, like you say, a lot of people are are hit or miss on, on discovery. I think that season was hit or miss. There was, it it certainly had potential, but I think there, there were a lot of things that they brought up that they didn't follow up on. Like I would have liked to have seen more on, on the two, uh, non-binary, transgendered characters. I mean, those were awesome characters that they introduced and they didn't do a whole lot with. They went to Earth, and Earth's no longer in the Federation. We really don't know why. There was this fighting with other humans within the the solar system. There's, I mean, they touched on so many things and wanted to do so many things that they did none of them really well, I think. But mm-hmm. the first two seasons were awesome.
1: That is so fascinating that you say that because I I don't know I'm watching Discovery and I'm kind of having the opposite whereas Picard's my captain for, for the record and and I and as such I'm aware that when anybody watches the Next Generation I kind of have to tell them wait for that third season it's gonna happen it, 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 like those first two seasons might be a little rough touch and go and having so knowing oh, that the with the spandex
3: sc- uniforms that they had in that for the first <laughs> two seasons that was the problem. Well, yeah, it, it,
1: the uh, I mean and there's some there's some good ones in there like The Naked Now and all that, but when I watch Discovery, it's it, I kind of feel like I have to do this. I have to tell myself that, you know, like sometimes shows have to put in that work to kind of find their footing. And I felt that with the third season of Discovery is is when I started to feel a little bit more of a connection with it. Whereas the first two seasons were more touch and go with me. Um, and, and I think mostly it's from a storytelling perspective. I, I, I don't I don't feel like they put in as much of the work for me to feel anything about a lot of these characters. But by the third season, I feel like maybe I've spent the time now that that can actually start to pay off. And I also got, I don't know, this has nothing to do with it. I also started to get like Doctor Who vibes for some reason. Just maybe the way they're filming it. Or, uh, or somehow the, the story writing, the type of sci-fi that they're dealing with, just came across very Doctor Who to me. That's just, I don't know. Side thought. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and you say that. Like the third season for me really seems to be the one that I'm I'm leaning more into.
3: Well, I guess here here's my the, the main criticism I would have of season three, and I guess you could sort of say this as Discovery as a whole. Although I I love the show, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. is that season three seemed to lack that. Awe and wonder that Star Trek has always had mm. uh, it's it was more you know solving a mystery which is fun enough in and of itself, but that awe of, of exploration that awe of seeing something new yeah. i thought was lacking
0: well, i have to say i had uh, i've had a great time on all three discovery seasons and i'm i 'm not uh, hypercritical of uh, of the, the storytelling. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, you, you kind of wonder, you know, what they were trying to do in one place or another, but it's, you know, these are, these are clearly not easy shows to do. And the fact that they're still making the show that I grew up with, uh, you know, just thrills me no end. Anyway, I'd say about discovery is discovery season one and two, especially two were, were really quite dark. And they didn't have the kind of Star Trek utopian optimism that I've come to love about the series. Yeah. Um, and so I think that put off a lot of fans. It put me off a little, but not, not enough to want uh, to uh, jump on you know every episode uh, as soon as it uh, came out. You know, frankly, seasons one or two, one and two sometimes felt like almost a documentary of what was going on here in this era in Earth, uh, on Earth. So... Uh, the, the nice, uh, to me, the nice thing about uh, season three, you know, the mystery was fun, but the, the fact that, you know, we somehow managed to survive the 930 or so years, and there was still a Federation, and there were still the ideals, and people were still fighting for them. I thought that was great.
2: That's six, I love that point. And I was thinking back, Dyer, uh, Dyer had kind of asked us to think about why we liked Star Trek, and it's always been for me a really positive view of the future. First of all, there is a future. And I know some of us who are journalists have our doubts at times because of the world we have to work in, but there's a future and it's in the stars, which is so fascinating. And it's so creative and it's, it's diverse. You've got all these different kinds of of people and, and species learning to live together. Sure. The Klingons come in and stir the pot once in a while, but overall people seem to have gotten it. They seem to be able to do this. So to, to watch that, um, unfold, it's just, it really makes it, it makes me feel better. Makes me feel like, yeah, there is a future.
1: Well, you know, can I, can I ask you guys to expand on that a little bit? Cause I, I am a bit curious. I mean, I, I know you all, Working locally within Seattle area media, and I know you're Star Trek fans, but but I don't know exactly what exactly your relationship is with Star Trek.
0: Well, I, you know, my relationship with with Star Trek is, uh, you know, Star Trek is the place that I often wish I'd been born into. You know, yeah, this is an OK timeline, the one we're living in. But I've always been a, a person who was always thinking that the future will be better. Uh, I like to read history. Some people read history and they think, boy, I'd love to be there. And I think, I read history and I think, you know, the future's got to be better. I'd love to be there. So Star Trek has always taken me uh, to the future. And uh, so I've always been attracted to it. Uh, You know, even when I was, when I first watched the, the original episodes, I'm a military kid. We were stationed on Okinawa. There was armed forces television, but it was black and white. And I didn't realize until we got back to the, to the United States that the original episodes were filmed in color. Oh, wow. Cool.
1: You know, that, that's interesting you bring up uh, Armed Forces Television too because for a time, I, uh, without going too far down the rabbit hole, I worked for military as a civilian over in Germany, and we had that Armed Forces Television, which is kind of like a uniquely curated experience for content-wise, basically whatever they could get for free. But that is why I, uh, one, am now a fan of Stargate SG-1, but also have watched more Seventh Heaven than I care to admit. But um, <laughs> but yeah, SG-1, that ended up being my fandom there. But kind of going back to your, your point there, Essex, am I also correct in that uh, you ended up naming your daughter after Catherine Janeway?
0: that is correct I, I have one daughter her name is catherine and is spelled uh, the way uh captain janeway spells her first name uh there are other you know catherine's that her name references you know uh, you know i had to stick those in to get it past my wife but um <laughs> but captain captain janeway is the is the one i always refer to you know i i, I tell her that uh you know captain janeway she she took care of her crew and she didn't leave anybody behind. And just think of those things.
1: What What about What about you there, Jeff? As we, as we're talking about uh, Voyager and some next generation stuff here, you are joining us in this conversation wearing a shirt that references the original series. It says "Expendable" <laughs> on it, and, uh, and it's red, of course. And it's red. Uh, what is uh, a what, what is your relationship with Star Trek?
3: Well, um, a, a couple of things. One, believe it or not, one of my earliest memories as a child had to do with star trek and my dad was watching the original series and i must have been four or five and i remember he he was explaining to me what it was you know ships flying through space and all that and i asked how big is the ship and he said well it's like a city you've got several hundred people on board and they're all doing their own various thing, but they're all working towards the same goal. And it's, and it's like a, a small little city flying through the stars as they explore. That's always stuck with me. Uh, and then later on, as I got older, next generation started and I really fell in love with that. And, and I love the storytelling. And, and like I said, the on wonder that they had with finding these new worlds, new life forms. And I think that's why I liked Enterprise so much, even though a lot of people weren't so fond of it. Uh, and, and granted, it, it has its problems, but because of where, when it was set, the first sort of deep space assignment by humans, they were in wondrous of the transporter. That was new technology. I remember an episode where they were just simply fascinated by a comet. These simple things that the rest of the series took for granted they were able to turn around and say look at this this is not just everyday stuff this is brand new and the awe and wonder that they showed in that series was amazing
1: enterprise also i think has the most fingerprints of our modern time to kind of connect with that too which i think at first makes it a little bit more accessible i think for folks because you can see us oh that might be how we respond if we actually oh we could go this fast in a ship all of a sudden and we will have transports going in between Mars, and it might take forever to get there. And How cool would that be? And I, and
3: I will say this as a follow-on to my dad sort of introducing me in, on, into Star Trek. He got to watch Man Walk on the Moon. I damn well better be able to watch Man Walk <laughs> on Mars, or I am going to yep. be sorely disappointed.
1: <laughs> Duly noted. It's going to happen. I, I dire prediction, you will see that. Heather, what about you?
2: Well, I, kind of like Essex, when I was little, the cable channel, local cable channel played a lot of the reruns. So okay. I would sit down and watch Star Trek and there was something about it. I got to see it in color. It was so creative looking and creative sounding. And you know the, the storytelling that they were allowed to do, which I appreciated more as I, I got older, simply being able to, to push the boundaries, so the sci-fi genre is allowed to do that in many ways that a lot of other formats can't. In the first interracial kiss between Kirk and Uhura, I mean, they, they were doing things that nobody was really talking about or exploring in other genres, but sci-fi could go there. And over time, it, it continues to be very creative. As a journalist, I might, type of journalism tends to be very sort of creative, In radio, lots of different sounds. And it just never disappoints on that level.
1: Let's talk about journalism. I find more than I want to admit, this show has actually influenced my own life. And and, and not only just, you know, my outlook, but how I operate. I mean, has this show influenced your life in any way? And and, and specifically, has this show influenced you as a journalist in any way?
0: Well, I'll I'll take a stab at it in... um... In television uh, news, especially, it's it's very very collaborative, and um, you know you're collaborating with people to to gather your story, gather video, gather sound, uh, assemble it into your story, and then you're collaborating with people to actually get that story on the air, um, and you know the the star the, the starships in Star Trek are very much the same. They're very very collaborative uh, enterprises. Um, so, you know, I boil it down to, it's not just you that matters, it's the crew that matters. Yeah, And that's something I take with me. Yeah, for me, I think it's that innate optimism,
2: as I referenced before, sometimes what we do for a living can be really uh, difficult, but it's optimistic, it's creative. Um, just the fact that oh, I just also have to, <laughs> I had the pleasure of interviewing, I have to say this, I interviewed both George Takei and the late Leonard Nimoy, uh, and that was so cool, because the show always sort of sparked me, or inspired me to ask questions, ask questions, what about this, what about that, it got me thinking in that that manner, and now suddenly I was interviewing George Takei, who's as lovely as you would think, <laughs> and Leonard Nimoy, who who was fantastic, it started out kind of a boilerplate Q&A, and a and then I said, Leonard, what's up with that book on Mount Spa? And he laughed, and then we kind of, we just, it was great. They did, these are just really entertaining people. Um, I can see why they would carry off a show that some people would look on paper and say, no way anyone's going to believe this. But they really, truly, I think, especially towards the end of New life, got how important and how cool it was to be a part of that franchise.
1: You, you guys kind of hit a couple nails on the head that, really resonate with me a little bit one is one is the positivity right like there uh, there are some news days you take your pick of whatever tragedy like they happen and reporters have to go and and handle them you know and and report on them and that can be a little tough sometimes uh i don't i don't i don't want to bring up examples we all we all have our days but I think sometimes having something to seep in, like kind of lean into, you know, is a little bit therapeutic for me at least, <laughs> you know, that just kind of, and, and it helps that it's, you know, on a whole other planet someplace far away. Um, but, but the other thing too, and I think Essex, you, you kind of spoke to this as well, is that I, I think journalism should be a very collaborative uh, process, with you know, editors and and other reporters i i've worked in newsrooms um i think i'm probably i don't know maybe i'm the only one representing newspapers here having come in from there but um you know i've worked in small community newspapers it was just like me and an editor and then i've also done the same thing at radio and i i would i would hate to be in a, a small newsroom like that over this last year you know where we have Demonstrations on civil rights and so forth, and not having a collaborative relationship in the newsroom to have multiple voices actually weighing in on how to report on something. I would find that to be kind of difficult to deal with. And that kind of brings in the whole start, the Vulcan philosophy, right? Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right? Mm -hmm. Having everybody's voice on the bridge helps that ship operate at optimal levels. Right. And I, I kind of feel like, yeah, if you're in a newsroom having that similar kind of dynamic happening probably makes the newsroom operate a little bit better. But anyway,
2: it's interesting. You mentioned that because when I worked for the network and I was anchor, I used to talk about, okay, I'm sitting in the captain's chair at the end of the day, you know, I've got to fly my plane. And then I had this amazing crew of editors and reporters and you're right. It is so collaborative, but, it's funny. I I would refer to it as the captain's chair, going in doing the anchoring thing. You know, thank you.
1: You know, let's let's take it home. Jeff, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave you alone there. Um, yeah, same question to you. I mean, has has any of this kind of seeped into your own life?
3: Um, well, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm sure uh, as a lot of people in this industry, and I'm I'm Heather and Essex. So you can probably talk into this, but it wasn't necessarily our first job that we wanted to do when we were kids we just it, it sort of evolved into that area <laughs> um, and uh, for me you know th- th- one of the earliest jobs that i can remember wanting to be was a scientist i was fascinated by ghostbusters fascinated by star trek and wanted to head down that road sort of fell into radio that developed into journalism and to me journalism has been sort of the great exploration that you would see on Star Trek, the great educator. I'm curious about something, so I'll go do a story on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I ask a question like, well, why does that happen? Or why is this that way? So I'll go do a story on it. And and that sort of exploration of the unknown is sort of how it kind of links Star Trek and journalism to me.
1: I like the exploration of the unknown. That I, I do often sometimes find myself yeah, maybe using the gig a little bit to to explore some kind of curiosity. Um, c- case in point, if anybody wants to go back and listen to an old episode of Northwest Nerd, I, I, I kept coming across this term fake geek girl. That There was these folks running around Comic Cons that kept saying that, that, you know, girls can't be geeks. So I got kind of curious, like, well, 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 what's going on with that? And it ended up leading me to the guy who wrote the original CNN article about it. And basically why he's living his life now to take that back <laughs> and try to, now that he's learned better and the damage that he has done, but he can't really outpace it. That's always kind of like chasing him. But yeah, curiosity, I, I think, is, is a main driver for a lot of the stories that I end up doing. Kind of dovetailing off of that, though, I'm, I'm, I am kind of curious. Gene Roddenberry would always say that his, his episodes are kind of like morality plays, you know? But he was hiding them within sci-fi, you know. Like you didn't really know that's what you're being hit with, but it was there. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious: are there any lessons that we've taken from Star Trek, or maybe there's an episode that just really, really resonates with you? That one, I I love it because any any time I see that lesson in life, I'm like, oh, that episode.
2: I have to say I love because I know Picard's your captain. There was an <laughs> episode, "The Inner Light," where
1: right.
2: Card gets hit by a probe, and he lives this entire life on a planet. And at the end of the episode, we find out that it's a dying planet. And they hit him with a probe because they wanted him, someone to carry all the memories of what he had, of, of what their planet was. So he wakes up, and it's only like 25 minutes later. But he has all of these memories. In the very end, he's playing a flute that he learned to play in this other life. And there's just something so precious about the way that looks at life and looks at memories and why it's important to remember other people. You know, it really struck a chord with me this year with the passing of my dad and my stepmom. So, you know, I just, that's my favorite.
1: It's actually, I also believe a fan favorite too. It's been voted kind of numerous times. What, what about, uh, what about you there, Jeff? Is there anything, what, what was an episode that you always kind of take with you?
3: Well, it, Going back to you know kind of something I referenced before the the New Eden episode of of Discovery that I thought was was great the conflict between faith and and science and, and uh, Captain Pike having to explore that and and you know dealing with the Prime Directive and not disrupting this this people this group of humans they're humans anyway but not disrupting their faith and whatnot but it, it kind of goes back to an episode of. Voyager that I think is incredibly underrated. It's called Sacred Ground, in which Janeway's faith in science is tested. And it was a a great way of sort of flipping the ideals of Star Trek on its head, which is so science-based, so evidence-based, empirical data, all of that, which is kind of how my mind works. I'm probably the, the least religious person you'll ever meet, but I'm fascinated by religion. I you know, I, I like to study the stories, read the stories. What morality are you trying to to bring from this? And that episode, I think it was a season three episode, where it was all about having to find some way to save Kes's life, but in order for Janeway, this ardent scientist to do so, she had to abandon her faith in the scientific method and just have faith that everything would turn out the way it should be and I thought that was a a great exploration of how people think how how people can get so dogmatic whether it's religion or science and sometimes you just have to step back and look at things from a wider perspective
1: you got me wanting to go back and watch that episode now on Voyager has probably been a little too long that that's actually a very fascinating take to, to look on that I like that uh Essex what about you
0: You know uh first thing comes to mind is is something from um the star trek movies uh so the the original uh series movie uh wrath of khan star trek wrath of khan Mm -hmm. and uh you know at at the end uh spock has apparently died and um captain kirk is uh is speaking uh to uh and and I'm uh, I'm remembering the actress's name and not remembering the character's name, uh, but uh, Kirstie Alley played the character. Oh yeah, uh, Lieutenant Savic. Yes, Lieutenant Savic. So, you know, and and uh, he he tells her that uh, you know as your teacher has always said, there are always possibilities. And you know that line gets quoted as something that. Spock has said, but then you go through all the scripts for all those years and you never actually find him actually saying it. It's just that uh, Captain Kirk has said it. But, you know, that line sticks with me. There are always possibilities. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I try, I, I try not to, um, not to to, to, to really to be open to what can be better, uh, to be open to that better future. Uh, because I, I just think back that there are always possibilities. I was, I was touched in a similar way by the season finale of Picard, show uh, one of the series we really haven't mentioned much. But I, I love that as well because, uh, you know, you're basically exploring uh, Captain Picard as uh, from the point of view of someone who is getting older and is really quite less relevant But, uh, you know, his uh, his chance to uh, save the universe uh, comes and drops him on him anyway. (laughs) And and at the end, uh, you know, he's he's with this group uh, of people who this ragtag group of people who he's gathered to save the universe. And uh, he he says, um, uh, as they're all sort of thinking through what they've been through this past season, he says, we are here to save each other and oh, I uh, love that and yeah and in a you know and remember that came just as the pandemic uh was really getting started um so you know we've been through so much already and now this pandemic was on us and that stuck with me this past year as well
3: um you had brought up uh season or excuse me uh Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and, and I'll, see, I'll show you how this dovetails back. I think, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few and all of that. That's sort of the, the ethos of Spock, and that's what a lot of people take from it. But the antithesis of that that they had in the Search for Spock, the follow-on uh, movie, I thought was another very underrated thing. The needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And that movie was all about friendship all about sacrificing everything for the people that you love and that you care about and i think so many people get lost in 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 criticizing uh the search for spock they they don't realize what that theme is and and that goes back to what you were saying Essex we're there to save each other. You know, the end of uh, Star Trek: Picard, I think, is uh, very relevant and and very similar to that theme of uh, Star Trek Three: The uh, The Search for Spock.
1: I feel like the uh, there's always that dynamic with that statement that Spock made. They, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. But you're you're kind of right. I I feel like there's a there's a subtext to that that they that they don't really point directly out that sometimes. That one person can still be very important to somebody else. And that that kind of explores the friendship thing, you know. I feel like Star Trek with Spock was saying, yes, we can mathematically try to go about our morality, but sometimes, yeah, it really does matter just the your friends, your family that you can actually have influence over, that you can actually be the best for them as well. And now we're going back to positive Star Trek.
2: (laughs) A little more on on Picard. I just get such a kick out of seeing this longtime esteemed British-trained actor, John's in in uh, Patrick Stewart. Um <laughs> was a John Stewart. Patrick Stewart playing this. You know, he's granted he's in his you know sunset years, and he's playing this captain who's also in his sunset years. And then you see the next generation characters coming back and playing of these as if they had lived all these these years they're not trying to play themselves as younger but it's also exploring that idea of becoming relevant staying relevant when you're older and there it is again another unique thing that I think Star Trek is bringing let's explore this to boldly go where no one has gone well he's, you know Stuart is is aging and doing it gracefully and and making a difference.
1: Just a total side note on that, too. uh, I did enjoy Picard quite a bit. And does anybody else want some kind of... uh, I'm going to... I can't remember the name. Was it Fenris Rangers or something that Seven was part of? Does anybody else just want that show of just Seven being kind of like a sheriff out in Nowheresville of of outer space or something like that? That just seemed like such a cool concept to me.
3: Uh, I think her character took a very non-Star Trek arc. She had more of an optimistic person, a young, essentially a young child learning under Janeway in, in Voyager and really kind of became this sort of bitter, almost vindictive person in Picard. And while I, I would say through the storytelling that's that's fairly realistic as to, you know, what had happened and in, in, in the backstory of her life, it, it's something that I didn't think was expected. Yeah. Uh, but... I also think it's it it wasn't necessarily the positivity that you would come to expect from Star Trek.
1: I think that was kind of an undercurrent of of the Picard episode though is is we know Star Trek through the lens of the Federation. And that's a that's a pretty good lens to be looking through, but what happens when you don't have that? Not not everybody has access to it, you know. There are other worlds and and cultures that that maybe aren't moving through this universe with the Federation? You know, what is this like for them? And uh, I think that's maybe how they're trying to explore that. You know, Seven came along with the Federation, but now she doesn't have it anymore, you know? And Picard has to save the the universe again, but he doesn't have the Federation to fall back on. I think that, with me, I think that's why that show ended up being really fascinating, was what happens when you kind of take away that? Are you still able to maintain, you know, that positive Federation-like outlook, you know, on life. But uh, Well, and you'll
2: notice that they deliberately did things like it's a much more sepia-tongued presentation. It's not all the bold colors. So I I agree with you 100%. They're they're really trying to tackle this from a slightly different way.
0: And I'm wondering, frankly, what what they're going to do with the season two of Picard, because, you know, at the end, that story arc is pretty much done. They they need a completely different story, and, and you have yeah. this this group that's all decided to stay together. You know what is it four or five people, and uh, they're they're off, they're literally off looking for other adventures. You know you know you know almost like a you know a, a, a group of uh, Ronin samurai who are uh, you know off uh, you know doing uh, doing whatever. And I'm really curious, you know, what what they're going to be uh, doing in this uh, in this season, too, because uh, they're going to need a completely a completely different plot line and storyline.
1: I kind of feel like they're they're using this as a as a launching pad for future Star Trek products. You know, like we're going to find characters here and we're going to bring them someplace else. Personally, me, I'm just excited because I know Guinan going to be back and a few other characters. Um which actually kind of brings me to uh, how I'd kind of like to end out this conversation with, with you guys. I have a Star Trek version of Would You Rather? I'm going to throw you into some tricky situations and you tell me exactly where you would, wh- what would you rather do? Let me throw out my first question with here. Um, you are done with work for the day, so you're going to a bar. Are you going to Guinan's or are you going to Quarks?
2: Quarks. Hmm.
3: That's a good one. Um, just
2: be more interesting.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hollow sweets. So you, you could always do that. Um, I guess it depends on the day. If I'm in a more pensive mood, I'm going to go to Guinan's for her wisdom and tend forward. But if I'm, if I just need to cut loose, I'm going to Quarks. <laughs> a little dom jot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 going to Guidance because you know Guidance Bar. You don't have to actually talk to anybody.
2: <laughs> You're I'm reading a book eight. at
1: Guidance.
2: Can <laughs> I talk for a living. People, I don't make me talk.
1: Right. <laughs> I always find that one tricky because I, I I feel like I'm more likely to find a pinball machine at Quarks. But at the end of the day, like I do feel like I'd rather go to Guidance.
3: Yeah, but you, you know that the drinks are going to be so overpriced.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and watered down. Um, all righty then, second question. You're going to be stuck in a shuttle pod for who knows how long. Would you rather be stuck with Lieutenant Barclay, who's on the Next Generation Enterprise, Malcolm Reed from Enterprise, or Lux on a Troy.
0: Oh,
3: well, not Troy. <laughs> um. <laughs> you, you know, uh, I I probably have to say read from Enterprise, and I, and, and you're referencing uh, a great episode in Shuttle Pod One from from season one, and and, and that that was such a character exploration between Tucker and malcolm reed and and uh, i mean if you think about it it was essentially a play it all took part in this small little shuttle little bottle episode yeah it was and sometimes those are the best because it's character development you see the 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 true colors of of each of them come out uh and and they kind of go through this bit of a hero's journey they're at each other's throats and they have to solve this problem and they finally come back and and out of it they they become friends and I think that's that is a a core Star Trek episode right there so I'd have to say Malcolm Reed plus I think he was a very underdeveloped character
1: (laughs) he was a boring character that's why I chose it he was was very (laughs) like yes or no answers what about you Essex
0: well I uh I would want to be uh in the pod uh with counselor Troy but I would like to be in the pod with the actress who portrays her because Marina Sirtis is a very, very fascinating person with a lot of strong opinions. If you follow her on Twitter, she'd be really interesting to be in the shuttlecraft. With.
1: She uh, had one of yeah she she is definitely bold in real life. I remember going to I forget which Comic Con it was, but I think it was down in Portland, uh, and they have these rules when they go up and do panels. Right, it's an entire room full of fans. And they say, hey, you know what? Leave your cell phones out. Just enjoy the enjoy the conversation and the panel. Stop bringing your cell phones. And she spotted someone in the audience having their cell phone out, taking video and all that. And she's like on mic, hey, you know, you're not supposed to have your cell phone out. And the fan was kind of like shy about it. She'll Hey, tell you what, let me see your phone. And he gave her the phone and she said, you'll get this back after the presentation. And <laughs> she just took this phone <laughs> for wow. the rest of the presentation.
2: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to Kobayashi Maru on this one.
1: I don't know. You don't know which one to go with.
2: I just don't know.
1: Let's just all go with Barclay, and we'll, uh, we'll call it. Good. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Okay. <laughs> it's time for lunch. Uh, you are going to a food court. Would you rather go with Wharf or Neelix? Keep in mind they are choosing the food.
2: Hmm. Worf.
3: You like Gok? The live worms?
2: No, I think Worf would be more of a gentleman, and he'd let me have what I want to eat. And Neelix is a little a little bit harder to pin down. But I think Worf would, would, would be very gentlemanly and, and, and let me get whatever I wanted.
3: I can see
0: that. No, I, I think I'd rather go with uh, Neelix, because he was the master chef. Yeah. And, you know, he'd be sure to pick out something good.
1: I think I agree with you on the Neelix because I think Neelix also would he would be a little more exploratory, you know, and that 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 meal might be a little bit more adventurous.
3: Yeah, I'd have to go with with Neelix as well. I also get the sense that there would be a lot more to choose from uh, in Neelix's kitchen uh, rather than, uh, you know, going out with the wharf.
1: All right. This one's a little bit more easy. Would you rather serve on Voyager or would you rather serve on Deep Space Nine? Hmm.
2: Deep Space Nine, that place looked like it was so cool. Yeah, <laughs> and Voyager, yeah. you're, you're kind of committed. You know, you're you're out there. You don't know if you're coming back. But Deep Space Nine had from you Ferengi know, to shape shifting characters to, you know, Cisco trying to hold it all together. That that place looked like it could be a lot of fun.
3: I'd have to go with the Voyager. Uh, I know that's sacrilegious to call it the Voyager. Um, but uh, it, it's because you'd be able to see things that no other human has seen before. I mean, you're going where no one has gone before, right. out in the Delta Quadrant, and I, and I think that gets back to Star Trek's roots.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I could handle the anxiety of being on Voyager. Um, great, great captain and crew. But you know, it's it's a it's a pretty small group who who may never ever get home, um, so I, I think I think I'd have to go with Deep Space Nine.
1: Yeah, I think I uh, I go back and forth on this one so much too because I feel like the camaraderie on Voyager would be is very appealing, and plus Tom Morello apparently works on Voyager too. But um, uh, Deep Space Nine has more of that small town vibe to it. You know, small town vibe that's constantly being attacked by somebody. All right. Next generation rules. Which color uniform do you prefer, red, blue, or gold?
2: I like red. I mean, it could get me killed, but maybe not on next generation.
1: Well, that's (laughs) why I said next generation rules. It's just like no guarantee you're going to (laughs) die.
2: All right. Yeah, I I just like the color red.
3: All righty. I'd go with blue, the scientific vision, curiosity. I'd do that. Right on.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm more of a blue person too. I think. Uh, you know, I, uh, the whole, the whole science idea really uh, attracts me.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Would it be either red or blue? Poor, poor gold. All righty. Only two more here for you. Uh, maybe when you go to that bar, that we talked about earlier, are you ordering Klingon blood wine or Romulan
3: ale? I'd say Romulan ale. Yeah. I mean, they. Yeah, it's. Particularly if, if if you know because we've talked about Deep Space Nine a, a little bit uh, recently, there was an episode uh, with kind um, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, in the pale moonlight was the the name of the episode, and Cisco and, and and the Romulan representative were drinking Romulan ale, and they, he, the description of it, it just should forcefully open your sinuses before the first sip and like yeah i want to try that (laughs) that's it it definitely gives you more of a bang for your buck
2: i'm gonna take culture advice and go with the romulan ale (laughs) that was a great way to describe it
0: Now, you know i don't really like beer i'm going with the blood wine
1: okay (laughs) i feel like i i i'm gonna have to go with the ale too and i think it's just because the the blood wine kind of grosses me out a little bit but I actually have had friends that have uh, got their own wine and bottled it, but then they made their own labels, so it's a Klingon blood wine. And so you can always <laughs> – you could have your own Klingon blood wine to serve at dinner just to gross people out a little bit. All right, right, this is not a uh, would you rather, but just kind of end things out. I, I started this conversation asking everybody who their captain was. Not everybody talks about the first officers as much. Maybe you get a conversation about how Riker sits down really weird, but for the most part, <laughs> who, who who would you prefer to have as your first officer? And just kind of as a refresher, I'm just going to throw a kind of a selection out there. We have Riker, Data, Chakotay, Worf was a first officer at point, one point, um, DePaul, Major Kira, Spock, Michael Burnham, and Saru have both been first officers. So, yeah, Um, who off the top of your head do you think that, yeah, I would like to be, I'd like them to be my first officer.
0: Tell you who I'd like to have as my first officer, and that is Incentilly. Okay. Because she is super smart, but also has a a huge amount of emotional intelligence, and uh, just would really keep a a captain connected to uh, the emotional pulse of the ship. Plus... If she were my first officer, she would no longer be an ensign. She needs to get a promotion. That's the real discrimination in the Amen. Star Trek series.
2: Amen, ethics.
3: Um, I'd have to say Michael Burnham sticking with the Discovery. Okay, I, mean, I think she she has the the brilliant tactical mind, um, you know, puzzle solving, a, a, a devoted scientist. I, I, I think she really defines the role of first officer.
2: Uh, I would go with because i think he would just keep me centered keep me you know when i'm wanting to go off and be the cowboy captain or come up with some cockamamie idea i think he would just sort of be the devil's advocate which i i think that would be a good compliment
3: i kind of can yeah I, as a follow-up i would say uh, and this wasn't part of the list i would say tuvok would be a great first officer as well
1: yeah he would well then we can go and who's the best security officer <laughs> of course I have to go with war yeah I uh I kind of I don't know I kind of go with your logic Heather in that I I wouldn't pick Spock but I'd probably go with Data but for kind of many of the same reasons and if I did if they weren't available I might go with Chakotay because Chakotay kind of seems like the the, he's the he's like a manager he's like he's like the manager you want you know he makes sure everything's operating you don't really have to worry about it you can just kind of set it and forget it Chakotay's he's got handled I think that actually rounds up most of any of my curiosities for my fellow journalists in the Seattle region. Uh, I do want to just kind of throw this out there. Is there any just final thoughts that anybody has that maybe I didn't even cover or a conversational point that you think is interesting that Dyer, maybe you should have asked.
3: Well, since we're from Seattle, you know, and we have a couple of characters that were introduced that are from our area in the last two television series, you have Ash Tyler, who was from the Seattle area. And then you had, uh, uh Dodge from Picard, who was also from oh that's true, so uh obviously there's a writer on the writing staff who's from this area, and uh, we'll we'll take the shout out I think
1: the wasn't the um oh gosh, I'm gonna space on the name unless you just brought this up who who was the uh character that was a, uh, originally a Klingon but then was you know morphed into a human on discovery
3: that, that was Tyler
1: that was Tyler, okay, yeah, cause wasn't he from like Issaquah? Yep. area okay all righty
0: yeah if if you look in one of the episodes and I, I don't know the episodes by name but one of the episodes in uh star trek picard if you look carefully there's uh one of the big scenic pictures it's mount rainier oh wow really
1: i didn't pick up on that yeah somebody's probably from the northwest right and on down there we're gonna have to find out who that is
0: well and, and in the in the Star Trek books written by Vonda McIntyre which are some of the best Star Trek books Vonda McIntyre is a Northwest author and in her books it's interesting that Starfleet is actually based in Seattle the Federation the government Federation is based in San Francisco interesting
1: Essex you just blew my mind this is a this is a fact <laughs> that I didn't know
0: so the author is Vonda McIntyre okay uh, and she uh, she wrote uh, a, a series of Star Trek uh, novels. Um, I think they're from the, the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, I have read them all. You know, her, uh, her novels uh, were just excellent Star Trek novels. Uh, and um, the one thing I noticed in the movies, you know, both the Federation and Starfleet are in San Francisco, but in her books, one of which actually is a novelization of one of the movies, they're, they're in separate places.
1: What, what a generation was she kind of writing? Was she like Kirk it, era, Picard era?
3: No, Kirk, Kirk era. You no, know, It's interesting. You bring up books cause there, there are so many books out there. And I remember as a kid, I had the uh, magenta colored next generation technical manual. And I loved reading that. Oh really? And, <laughs> yeah. As, as I recall, it was, it was less a book that they were supposed to release, but it was sort of a style guide for the writers. So oh. that thing would be consistent, and then then they just decided to publish it.
1: That actually that that sounds a little cooler than mine. I actually have the blueprints. Uh, they're they're kind of like in a packet blueprints of both the uh, original Enterprise and the Enterprise D. And it's kind of interesting to look at the original Enterprise because there's a lot of stuff that maybe they referenced in the show, but like you know, like they have a garden in there somewhere. You know, like they. That's in the blueprints, but this never really they never really spend time there on the show.
0: Okay, I had to be a news person for a moment and uh, see if I'm correct about Vonda McIntyre. And uh, so uh, searching uh, quickly and finding her website online, uh, she died in April,
1: 2019.
0: Oh, okay. And, and the Star Trek novels that she wrote are The Entropy Effect, and then she wrote the novelizations for uh, The Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, and, uh, and then she wrote uh, something called Enterprise, the first adventure for the 20th anniversary of the series.
1: Again, that was Essex Porter with Cairo 7 TV, Heather Bosch with Cairo Radio, and Jeff Podjala over at Como News Radio. Thank you. A very big thank you to everyone who came on for a, pretty random casual chat about Star Trek. I have a feeling this is probably not going to be our last. If you heard anything in this conversation that struck a chord with you, they are on social media, particularly Twitter, so give them a tweet, give them a shout out. Let them know your own personal thoughts on Star Trek. Speaking of which, Northwest Nerd is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Give us a like, give us a share. Subscribe to us on any podcast platform of your preference. And if you do have a few seconds, you know, those little reviews and ratings, they they do go a long way. Thank you in advance for all your ratings and reviews. Music in this episode was by the Hoot Hoots. Northwest Nerd will be back in a couple weeks. And until then, this is Dyer Oxley with
2: Northwest Nerd.